All right, think, put your thinking caps on, okay? We're going to go fast, and it's going to be a lot of stuff, but that's just how I like to do it. Um, <laughs> In 1797 and 1798, there was a German composer by the name of Joseph Haydn, and he wrote this masterpiece. It was a three-part oratorio called The Creation. I would encourage you to listen to it. It takes you a long time because it's a pretty long piece, but it's really cool because basically what he did is he put the idea of the seven days of creation to music, and it's a fabulous piece of music. But turns out that creation, as great as that piece of music is, doesn't really need mankind to uh, sing its song. In fact, creation has a song all its own. So I want to talk to you first today about the song of creation. Now what I'm doing, I formulated this message kind of like a three-part oratorio, kind of like Joseph Haydn's The Creation. Uh, and, and so there's three parts of this message, all dealing with songs. And the first song I want to talk to you about is the song of creation. Now to really get your arms and your mind around this song, you got to go to Genesis chapter 1 where it all started, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form. It was void. It was like this darkness, all right? And then in the latter part of verse 2, the Bible says that the Spirit of God hovered over this darkness or over the waters, which is a Hebrew term meaning the deep, the nothingness. The Spirit of God was hovering, all right? And then you get to verse 3, and the first day of creation happens. What happens? God turns the lights on. He says, let there be light. And there was light. And the Bible says, and God saw that it was good. That was the beginning. But then day two, what happened is things started to move even more. And God separated the waters from the expanse. And God created the sky. And now we have the heavens and we have this earth that's beginning to form. And then in day three, you really start to see these atoms begin to move. And you know what's interesting? I did a little study on atoms. Did you know that everything has atoms? Everything is made of atoms. Everything is made of atoms, which are protons, neutrons, and electrons. And it's the movement of those atoms that causes this friction, which creates matter. And what's so cool about these atoms that move around like this, and I took this picture just the other day. I'm just kidding. That's a very, that's a, that's a cartoon of what an atom is doing. It's all that friction and movement that's not only just, that's not only causing matter to be created, but it actually creates frequencies. Did you know that everything is creating a frequency? And those frequencies quite often, most of the time actually, can be turned into what we would equate as a note, a musical note. And did you know that atoms are buzzing about this all, and there's millions and millions and millions of atoms on every little particle, and you know that they're buzzing about at such a high frequency that it's literally 20 octaves above the highest note on the piano? 20 octaves above that, which the human ear, of course, cannot hear, but scientists have narrowed it down and figured it out that this one note that atoms are singing is actually a note, it's a D on the piano. Can you believe that? This is a D. Oh, it's not on. Anyway, it's a D. <laughs> Turns out it's not an acoustic piano. <laughs> so it's a D. Atoms are singing the note D. Is that cool or what? So atoms are singing. And that's just the very, very beginning. Did you know that scientists have discovered that there's actually a roar in space? Now, for years, people thought that when you go to space, it's quiet. There's nothing. And to the human ear, it's nothing. But you know what? Just recently, scientists have discovered that there's a radio frequency flying through space at a very loud 
tone, very loud. And here's the best part. For 13 years, they've discovered this, this roar is going across space, and they still, 13 years later, can't figure out where it's coming from. They don't know if the roar in our space is coming from outside of our galaxy or from inside of our galaxy. Hmm, that's kind of cool. So day three is when God really gets these atoms moving, and this is when we begin to see that he's creating the world, the earth as we know it, and this is where he created the, 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 the oceans that already existed, and he separated them from the land, right? And on day three, a lot of stuff happened. God took his finger, I just imagine, and just sort of carved out the mountains and the waterfalls and all the landscapes that exist in our world. And I don't know if you ever just take the time to look at the Blue Ridge Mountains, but it's pretty cool. Do you ever, have you ever been to the Rocky Mountains? Amazing, right? The Grand Tetons and all that. I was, uh, I, I'm just always amazed. But a couple summers ago, I took, I took my sons to, uh, and my wife to, to Yosemite National Park. And, and it had been a long time since I'd been there. I hadn't been there since a kid. And I'm telling you, when you come through that tunnel and you see that glorious view, that's just part of it, by the way, and El Capitan and all that stuff, and you see these rock formations, I'm telling you, you come around that corner, and it's almost like creation just is like, Whoa! I mean, it's, just, it, it's amazing. The song of creation is powerful. But did you know that it's not just the sight of it all? It's making a sound, not just the waterfalls, but even interior. The interior of those mountains makes a sound. It's crazy, but there's a low rumble happening in the, inside those rocks. In fact, God created some rocks that sing all by themselves. When you strike the Sonoris Rock, like at the, at the Ringing Rocks National Park in Pennsylvania, when you strike these rocks, amazingly enough, with a hammer, it sounds like a bell. In fact, when you go to Stonehenge in England, you see the same kind of rock to a, a different kind of, it's actually a, what they call bluestone, that these, uh, these people in the early days drug these rocks 20, 30, 40 miles away, and they discovered that one of the two kinds of rocks at Stonehenge are called bluestone. When you strike a bluestone, it sounds like the Sonoris Rocks in Pennsylvania. It sounds like a bell. And they're beginning to discover that in Stonehenge, they wasn't just a, a, like a timepiece or whatever they were doing over there. We don't really know what they were doing. But one thing they, the scientists think that they were doing was making music with rocks. And it turns out that those blue stones that some of the rocks in Stonehenge are made from were also the same kind of rocks that churches before the 17th century would use as church bells. Because when you strike these things, they actually make a beautiful tone. Now, interestingly, well, I'm going to come back to that. I'll tell you that in a minute because I'm so full of all this stuff. Google is amazing, y'all. <laughs> it really is. You can find out anything. In fact, every time I would Google something like, hey, does the earth sink? Does the space make a noise? Does the... Turns out it does. All of creation is singing the praises of its creator. But beyond the rocks, that same day, day number three, God made the trees and the plants. Now, trees are amazing. I mean, you know, you, you just, we take them for granted. But this thing called photosynthesis is an incredible process. And scientists have actually connected little electromagnetic thingies to the leaves. I don't know what you really call them. But they, they've discovered that in the process of connecting this electronic magnetic thingamajiggies to leaves, they can actually hear photosynthesis happening inside the leaves of the trees and guess what it's a frequency and guess what they can they they basically conform to music and there's actually artists now really really nature loving kind of flower children type artists who are making albums from the sound of photosynthesis in tree leaves 
Hello. Well, and that, there's plants. So many plants, right? But let's just take one. Do you know that there's some plants that create flowers that have caffeine in their pollen? Yeah. Caffeine in the pollen, which, of course, is very attractive to bees. And bees come back to those plants every single day. Why? Because the caffeine gives them a buzz. <laughs> See what I did there? It's true. It's really true. It's like nature's own Starbucks. And they come back every day. And, the, and because of that, the bees empty the flower of its pollen. And then the bees do what they do, and they fly around, and then they go back to their hive. And guess what they do? They join the other worker bees, and they join them in a dance. Really, it's a dance. And guess what? This dance is not just a silent dance. No, they're dancing to music. And guess where the music's coming from? From the queen bee. The queen bee creates a song. Can you believe that? It's true. In fact, you can Google it. You can actually hear the song of the queen bee. How cool is that? So that's all just day three. Then you get to day four, and you begin to discover that God decided to go ahead and decorate the rest of the space in the heavens. So he makes the sun. He makes the moon. He makes the stars. And did you know that the sun makes its own noise? It's 100 decibels loud. The sun is loud. Of course, it's pretty big, so I can understand it. But it, it hums at a low roar of 100 decibels constantly, never stops. The moon, it sounds like a bell. Who knew this until the lunar module from Apollo 12 crashed into the moon, and it made such a loud noise that it rang for eight minutes, and the, and the astronauts said it sounded like a bell. <laughs> Who knew that the moon is a giant gong, y'all? How cool is that? It's so cool. And then the stars, I mean, look at, look at Job chapter 38, verse 7. God is just kind of giving it to Job. I mean, Job is questioning all this stuff, and so God just says this, hey, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have this understanding. Who determines his measurements? Surely you know, right? I mean, who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, and who laid the earth's foundation? When the morning stars sang together. And all the sons of God, or the angels, shouted for joy. Turns out, while all this stuff is happening, while God is forming all this magnificent creation, that meanwhile, the stars in space are singing to their creator. And the angels are shouting. The universe is a loud place. And it's all in one chorus, singing praise to God. Wow. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And then you get to day five, where God creates the sea creatures and the birds of the air. Now, this is a fascinating thing. I mean, you really start finding some cool stuff here. And, and, and I was just in Mexico a couple of weeks back with my wife for our anniversary, and we went on a boat, and we got to watch the humpback whales. And I'm telling you what, this is a really cool experience. If you've never been near a whale, they're quite big. They're really big. And, 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 and what's so neat is that the humpback whales are known for their singing. Scientists have tried to figure out why they sing. Sometimes it's a mating call. Sometimes it's to tell all their buddies where the food is because they eat like two tons of food a day. But you know what else? Sometimes they just sing. Psalm 104, the Bible says that God created the Leviathan, the whales, the, sea, the monsters of the sea, to frolic in the ocean. Scientists have discovered that one of the reasons humpback whales sing is just 
for the fun of it. And sometimes they'll sing for hours. And they have such incredible ranges in their singing that they can sing higher than the human ear can hear. And they can sing way lower than the human ear can hear. And lower sound waves travel in water at four times the speed of normal sound waves above the water. And so when you, when you hear, uh, well, you can't hear because it it's too low for us to hear. But a humpback whale can literally sing notes that are at 8,000 hertz. That's incredibly low. Y'all, we don't hear anything lower than like 100 hertz. So 8,000. But because of the depth of that tone, the sound waves will travel through oceans literally as far as 10,000 miles away. Wow. And then you got little birds on the very other end of the spectrum that God created on the same day, day number five. He created this little bird called the common nightingale. You ever heard of a nightingale? Did you know that a little nightingale bird can make over a thousand distinct tones with his little beak? Come on. This is getting crazy. And then you get to day number six where God creates all the mammals and the animals that walk the earth. And the Bible says he looked at all of it and he said, that's good. But then God said, let us, talking to the Godhead, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image and let him have dominion over all the earth and make him a ruler and let's let him, uh, you know, have command of all that I've created. And then the Bible says the end of chapter one and God looked at all that he's created and up until that day, at the end of every day, it said God said that it was good. You get to the end of chapter one, God said that it was very good. Y'all, you're God's favorite creation. Have you ever considered that? You were created for his glory. You are part of the song of creation, which is why as his children and as his creation, we should probably do our part in taking care of this creation of his. It's the only earth we're going to live on. It's our responsibility. We have dominion over it, so let's take care of it. And everything was happening in that Garden of Eden, and everything was so perfect, and it was just utopia. It was beautiful. And we don't know how long that lasted, but I know this. In my Bible, it lasts all of one page. And then all of a sudden, the song of creation, it's like somebody's walking by the record player and bumped the needle. The CD starts to skip. For those of you at Liberty, that's a little round thing that's shiny. It looks like this. It doesn't look like that. It's just an empty hole. Never mind. But uh, the download didn't go down. How's that? Because the song was interrupted. And now there's another song that's playing. It's the song of sorrow. We've moved into a whole other place. Because you see, when sin entered the world, now we have a problem. Because fellowship with God is interrupted, Right? And so this song of sorrow has been playing loudly now throughout history. And it's the most sad song of all because it created a division between us and perfect fellowship with God. Oh, but God, as creator and sustainer of all, did not allow sin to ruin the song for eternity. In fact, just like a good symphony has multiple movements, when sin entered the world, it was not the final chapter. In fact, it was just the beginning. And throughout all of the Old Testament, we see God dealing with his people and teaching them how to live right and wrong, dealing with the sin issue and all of its complications. But then, in the fullness of time, 2,020 years ago, God sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him 
would not perish but have everlasting life. A new song began at the coming of Christ. God wrote the next part of the symphony, and this is a climactic moment in all of history. So as as great as the first movement was with the song of creation, and as tragic as the second movement is with sin rendering the world, the best part is yet to come. And what I want to talk to you about for the next few moments is the third song of the day, the song of the redeemed. So because of sin, the sweet fellowship mankind had with God in the beginning is now broken. And in order to restore that fellowship, redemption was absolutely necessary. And for hundreds of years, God used his word, his miracles, his prophets, judges, kings, queens to reveal himself to mankind. But in the fullness of time, God revealed himself to mankind in the flesh by sending his only son. And his son would pay the ultimate price of redemption for us on a cruel, rugged cross. Now, folks, that's the greatest story ever told. Did you know that Genesis 1 starts with this phrase, in the beginning? But there is another book in the Bible that starts with that same phrase, in the beginning. You know what book that is? John. That's right. In the beginning, John 1.1, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Don't miss that. Remember, Jesus Christ has always been, all right? He's always been. He was there when God said, let there be light. He was there at the conversation when, we, when God said, let us make man in our image. The image of God is Jesus. So he comes now in the flesh to this earth. And all things were made through him, verse 3 says, and without him was not anything made that was made. So John's painting for us a picture for us that Jesus was there at the dawn of time. He's the one who fashioned and formed the world. He's the one who fashioned and formed mankind. And now he's taken on flesh and entered the world so that the world through him would be saved. So the world was made by Jesus, and now the world would be saved by Jesus. Redeemed. Redemption. So what exactly is this thing called redemption? Well, I was watching a, a, a sermon by Robert Morris from Gateway, and um, he gave these four terms to his church. And I thought it might be beneficial for me to give these terms to you too because they really give us a great picture of redemption. I'll move through these quickly, but these are four Greek words for redemption. Sometimes, you know, when we say the word redemption in English, it, it means something. It actually means to be bought back, but in the Greek and the Hebrew, so many times those languages have so much more mind and word pictures that, that they give us. And so let me give you four Greek words that mean redemption. The first one is agarazzo, and it refers to the marketplace for slaves. Revelation 5.9 uses this word. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 uses this word. When Paul refers to Jesus leaving heaven and becoming a slave for us, what that word, agarazzo, it means is that Jesus left heaven and entered the marketplace as a slave for us. But then the next word, ex agarazzo, this is the same word just a, with an extra prefix, ex meaning out of, it means out of the marketplace for slaves. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, Paul uses this word when he says that we've been redeemed out of slavery. So agarazzo means the marketplace for slaves, ex agarazzo means out of the marketplace for slaves. In other words, Jesus left heaven, became a slave for us, 
And then Jesus not only became a slave for us, but he pulled us out of the slave market. I don't know if you've ever been to Charleston and seen those slave blocks and those slave markets where they used to sell the slaves when they would come from Africa. Let me tell you something. It's the most heartbreaking, heart-wrenching thing you could ever see because you realize that they were treating people who were created in the image of God like animals. And this is exactly the picture that we get here in Scripture because this was very much a thing back then, slavery. So there's agarazzo, the marketplace for slaves. There's ex agarazzo, out of the marketplace for slaves. And then there's the third word, lutrosis. It means the full payment of a ransom for a slave. Hebrews 9.12 uses this word. It, it refers to a full sacrifice or a full ransom that was paid to bring somebody out of slavery. A beautiful picture of this in the Old Testament is the book of Hosea. Hosea, man, God told him to marry this girl and not only does she have a horrible first name, Gomer is her name, but she's a prostitute. And he tells God to, to marry this girl, and so he does. And I mean, what mercy to, 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 marry, this, but to marry this lady, but then, but then they have three kids together, but then years later she leaves him and goes back into a life of prostitution. Horrible story. And then at the very end of the book you see that in God's mercy and grace and love, he tells Hosea as a picture of that same mercy and grace to go to the slave blocks, to find Gomer, who's now selling herself as a slave and as a, in essence, a sex slave to other people. He says, buy her back. Wow, what a great picture of lutrosis to pay back the ransom for a slave. But then there's one other word. Apolotrosis. Apo is just another prefix for the word lutrosis. And apo means to return to its original state. It means the full payment of a slave, but now it's not just that you're buying the slave, now you're setting the slave free. So not only did Jesus pay the ultimate price to pull us out of slavery, but he then sets us free to never be a slave again. He returns us to our original state. And go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. What is our original state? Therefore, you are no longer a slave, Paul says, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God in Christ. The original state for us is that we were sons and daughters of the Most High God. So let me just sum this up for you, because I know it's a lot of Greek terminology, and I may be losing you a little bit. So can I just sum up to you, through these four Greek words, a meaning of redemption. Listen close. Jesus Christ entered the marketplace of slaves, in which we all are, slaves to sin. And he became a slave for us so that we could be pulled out of that slavery of sin. And he did it by paying the full price for us on the cross, but he didn't just buy us back. He returned us to our original state in the Garden of Eden, which is to be the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Y'all, you were not created to be a slave to sin. You were created to be the sons and daughters of God. That is the song of the redeemed. And the greatest story of the cross and the resurrection of Christ is so wonderful because it is there that mercy was so great and grace became free and pardon was multiplied for me. And it's there that my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. That's the song of the redeemed. And what we've seen in that baptistry is a beautiful picture of that song. People who've come to Christ and been saved.
Now there's two verses to this song of redemption. Verse one is mercy. Mm. We just sang about it. Do you know, let me give you the simplest definition of mercy I can give you. It's not getting what we do deserve. Mercy is simply not getting what we do deserve. And mercy is immediate. At the moment you surrender yourself to Christ, you receive his mercy, his compassion, his love. But mercy is also continual. His mercies are new every morning. We sang about it in that song just a minute ago. That song was a reference to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Listen to what the Lord says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Aren't you grateful that we worship a God who has new mercies for you every day? I mean, come on, how many of you blew it yesterday? How many of you blew it on the way here to church? Some of y'all were fighting on the way in. I can tell, I can see it in your eyes. Couple sitting this way and this way, you know. I've been there. We all blow it, we all sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the mercies of God are new every morning. And so to a child of the king, isn't it wonderful to know that at the end of every day, you can surrender your life right back to him. He's never left you. He's never going to. His salvation holds you. He will not let you go. But on the very next morning, as the sun rises, humming at 100 decibels and 12,000 degrees on its surface, 93 million miles away, just far enough away to where we don't burn or freeze to death, that same sun rises is the same sun that God spoke into being, and that same God who threw that sun into space is the same God who has absolute mercy over every aspect of your life, every mistake you've ever made. Come on, is that amazing or what? And then, and then, the verse two is the best verse of all to me. It's grace. Verse one is mercy, verse two is grace. These are two sides of the same coin. They go hand in hand. It's like the peanut butter and jelly of salvation right here. They just go together. So if mercy is not getting what we do deserve, grace is getting what I don't deserve. You see the difference? The fact that God is not going to punish me or send me to hell for my sin, now that's mercy. But the fact that God is gonna forgive me completely and give me a home in heaven that I couldn't earn, that's grace. His grace is infinite. There's no limit to his grace, and his grace is free. You cannot earn it. It's not for sale because the price has already been paid at a hill called Mount Calvary on the cross. So my job is to enjoy the free but very costly gift. So God's mercy is keeping me out of hell. God's grace is taking me to heaven. You see the difference? And they go hand in hand. Let me explain it to you this way. It is at the cross of Christ that we see all of God's mercy and all of God's grace on full display. The sacrifice of this spotless lamb, the sinless man, would pay the ultimate price for mankind's redemption. And three days later, when Jesus would conquer the grave, the greatest story would reach the pinnacle moment in history because death and hell and the grave would be defeated once and for all. The symphony that started in the Garden of Eden would reach its loudest crescendo when the stone was rolled away. And with a triumphant exit from the tomb, all of creation 
would raise its voice in unified praise to its creator. Can you just picture that moment? I just imagine the wind whistled just a little louder that morning. I imagine when Jesus came out of that tomb, the birds sang a little, a little sweeter. The trees stood up a little taller. The spring flowers bloomed a little brighter. The, the sun shone just a little brighter, and the rocks stood at the ready to ring like church bells. What an amazing moment for nature to witness. But even more so, what a gift for mankind to receive. And see, here's the difference. Only those of us who've been saved by the blood of Jesus can sing the song of the redeemed. Angels can't do it. Humpback whales can't do it. Even the calming nightingale can't do it. Oh, they sing his praises, but they don't understand redemption because they've never had to be redeemed. Only those of us, the ones who were fashioned and formed in our mother's wombs in the image of God, only us, the managers of his creation, only us, because we have a soul and a conscience, only us, the recipients of his full mercy and grace, only we can sing this song, the song of the redeemed. And I think if this song had a chorus, the chorus would go like this. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Because death no longer has a grip on me. You have broken the chains of slavery of sin that once held me so strongly, and you broke them by your mercy. And because of your amazing grace, there's salvation in your name and your name alone. Jesus Christ, you are and forevermore will be my living hope. Can we give him praise? Can we give him praise? Can we give him praise? That's the song of the redeemed. My question today is, can you sing that song? You remember those sonorous rocks I told you about earlier? My, brother, my, my, my buddy Harry came up to me after the service and he reminded me of this fact. Do you know, scientists have taken those rocks and when you hit them, they ring like a bell. But do you know what, when you break one of those in half and then you hit it, it doesn't ring anymore doesn't even make a sound just a thud and I just wonder today how many of you are broken and you've lost the song in your heart there's no song to sing you feel like anymore but let me tell you something there is a song to sing you are part of the glory of his creation y'all you are part of this magnificent plan that Christ brought to this earth and if you've never had a song to sing because of the redemption and the salvation that Jesus can give you, 
then I would invite you to come to this altar and simply take one of these pastors by the hand and simply say, hey, man, I, I need a song. I need to be set free. I don't know Jesus. Help me, help me, help me. We will help you. I promise we will. But then there are many of you in this room because of sin, because of other things, that the song has just sort of gone away. It's sort of a distant memory. It's almost like you can hear it, but it's just so far away. Can I invite you to come back home to Jesus? Just bring your, bring your heart, your life, your soul, everything that you are. Surrender back your life to Christ. Let that song be the loudest thing in your life. You know why? Because that song is what will carry you through the end of this world, the end of this life, and into eternity. But can I tell you something? There's also one more part to this symphony. Most symphonies have four parts anyway. And it's one more song. You know what it is? It's the song of the second coming. And there's coming a day, y'all, when this song will be finished and there'll be a new song to be sung when the trumpet blast fills the air and God calls us home. And it's going to be in a magnificent song that we will sing for eternity. But until that day, sing the song, The Redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by His infinite mercy. His child, I forever really, really, really am. So while you go, you head to your house, head to lunch, wherever you're going, would you do me a favor? Do yourself a favor. Do the Lord a favor. Sing loudly the song of the redeemed because you have a hope in your heart that nobody else can sing about. Let them hear it. Let them see it. All right? The altar's open for those of you who need to come. The rest of you, you are dismissed. God bless you. Have a great week, everybody. All right? I want to thank you for joining with us today. If you've never come to the place of recognition of being a sinner and needing a Savior, you can do so right now. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life. Just ask Him to save you today. Now, if you'd like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, we'd love to chat with you about that information. I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen. It's pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Jesus Christ in your life. If you'd also like to help contribute to our ministries, we take this message of the gospel around the world. Go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with the amazing message of God's love. Help us let people know that God loves them, that Christ died for them, and that we can find hope in Jesus.